0: Welcome to the SADCAST, the podcast for working creatives. I'm your host, Pamela Roonis, and today we have a treat for you. I am joined by Becca Clarkson here as guest host. Um, Becca is a previous web editor of SadMag and now editor of the print magazine, and she interviewed um, someone really interesting for the found issue. Um, his name is Kevin Romaine, and he runs the Coffee Bus, and she thought, maybe I'll try my hand at some kind of audio storytelling and throw it on the podcast. And she made a really awesome piece. And I just thought we would talk a little bit about what we're about to hear and sort of the process, because you're new to podcasting in general. I yes, yes. hey? uh,
1: was completely inspired by just my own enthusiasm with podcasts and also my fascination of Kevin's project. It was just uh, such a bizarre setting to, um, set up a very specific cafe. And I just thought this has to be captured somehow.
0: So when you interviewed him for the, um, issue, did you have to then go back obviously to get like further information? Like how many hours (laughs) did you talk to this guy?
1: Um, I actually sat down with him for the first time with a microphone, just because um, I sort of always have these freelance ideas in the back of my mind and they're a bunch of half started projects. And this one actually came to full fruition. So that was exciting, but I went into it hoping that I would make something of the audio and knowing that either way, there was a story in in this bus.
0: So, uh, what got you interested in this type of storytelling? Was there a specific podcast in mind? It feels like, I don't know, like it feels familiar, like the style in which you did the piece. Was there any podcast you want to shout um, out? I think
1: <laughs> anyone who listens to Ologies probably knows that there's a lot of like asides. Um, I kind of like that because it reminds me a lot of how. I write for journalism, which is uh, sort of what I do as my full-time job. I write for TV broadcasts. So uh, it's just sort of condensing what you need to know uh, and you get to cut out all the ums and uhs and roundabout ways of talking and you sort of synthesize what your impression was of the conversation. So um, in that sense, This forum or this medium sort of allows me to put more of my personality into it than news writing does. Um, And it also just by virtue of being audible gives the audience so much more information.
0: What did you, um, what were were you surprised about um, going through the process that you didn't know before? Um,
1: Just how intensely creepy I would feel uh, because I've listened to so many hours of Kevin's voice. It's not so much that I sat down with him several times. I did um, sit down with him a second time because uh, as people will hear, he ends up opening a second location. And so I wanted to check in with him about that venture. Um, But just between you know, some two hours of interviews, I must've listened to that guy's voice for like
0: 15 hours. I don't know. (laughs) It's
1: pretty wild. Yeah.
0: It's it's seared in there now. Yeah. It feels like oddly voyeuristic because I'm
1: like, I don't even think he, like, I don't have Instagram. I don't know how else people creep people these days. I guess I have like family friendly things.
0: I know. I feel like that when we're, when we're um, editing like commercials and stuff and like going over and over and over the same people's faces. And it's like, they don't even know we're just staring and dissecting, you know, like, Oh, there's some lint on his shoulder. There's, you know, yeah, it does feel voyeuristic (laughs) for sure. Um, so would you have any like tips for someone that would want to create this sort of, um, audio, um, portrait, if you will?
1: Uh, I think my journey was pretty specific. I, I worked very well on deadlines and I just bought a microphone and have sad magazine as a platform that, uh, trust me and I've had a relationship with for many years. So it, it feels very lucky to have found a home for a very experimental project. So, uh, I don't know, my advice would be network and, uh, just ask, because the worst that can happen is people say no.
0: Was there any point where you were like, I don't know if I should do this, or or, or I do want to do this more, like this is the thing uh, for me?
1: I think like all millennials, I have a problem with enjoying something without trying to like, make a hobby of it or monetize it or something, so I really enjoy podcasts, podcast, and so I've mm-hmm. always kind of been like... Mm-hmm could probably do that uh and this is a really good kick in the butt because it's a lot of work it's not like a casual side hustle i think there's so many uh joe rogan types who just sort of like yell into a microphone Mm
0: -hmm. well you did craft something special no you did and i think you could do a lot more of it if you wanted okay well without further ado we can uh throw it to your interview with kevin romaine
2: You know, as a, my, my career as a, as a drummer has been primarily based around improvisation. What I kind of like about coffee is it's, it requires a much different lens. The, the stakes are lower. You know, a, a good cup of coffee can make somebody's day, but it's not gonna change the world. So, uh, you know, in the way that, think, think about like the, you know, the, the record that you found when you were a teenager that totally changed the course of your life, right? Like, that's like, that's some powerful stuff.
1: That's Kevin Romain. When the pandemic first hit, the Vancouver musician, like so many people, suddenly had no work and a lot of free time. He also happened to have an obsession with coffee, so it fueled a project that's still rolling to this day. It started with a pop-up by donation cafe. And... By cafe, I mean a derelict school bus that's been parked in the alleyway behind Kevin's house for years.
2: If you haven't seen it, it's painted like matte black on the outside, and the paint's all like peeling off, and it it look it looks like uh, straight out of Mad Max or something. It's very post-apocalyptic kind of. It looks very scary.
1: Coffee bus, as it was accurately named, had been open for one month when I stopped by for an interview. And a warning: the awkward post-lockdown interaction may be disturbing to some listeners.
3: I think this is so cool.
1: Okay, so what's your what happens when you come in every morning? What's sort of the setup?
2: Is is there a better way?
0: Um, maybe if you could just come a little closer.
2: I could. I could uh, could do like this. Sure. Um. So I I try and put everything away at night uh, after I'm. Close out the shop, so uh, just just to kind of have a fresh start in the morning. And most of the stuff in here, I actually bring it to my house just because it's a bus in the alley. So if you never know if someone's gonna be tempted to, rightfully so, grab your stuff. They might need it more than me. So so I bring most of it, carry everything in the house. So I do a few trips back and forth, and we'll load it all in here you got to make sure that the water gets heating up because it takes a little while. And if you space on the water heating up, then someone shows up in the morning and they want coffee. And yeah, just kind of make sure that everything's ready often if I have a new coffee.
1: As we speak, I'm sitting at a tiny two-top tucked inside the bus right by the front door. There's a little kitchenette behind the driver's seat. And at the back, Kevin has set up a commercial coffee grinder, as well as the devices he uses to roast his own beans. Coffee is stored in various nooks with at least three kettles, scales, and pour-over setups stationed around the customer window. Kevin handwrites the menu in his own chicken scratch, complete with tasting notes like Madagascar vanilla and pine leaves and licorice.
2: If I have a new coffee on the menu that I have, I'm not super familiar with, I'll spend a little bit of time dialing in the, uh, the recipe for it. So figuring out what kind of grind size is appropriate for it how long it, type, it likes to be in contact with the water before it gets uh, bitter or, or uh, maybe it needs a little bit more contact time in order to maximize the sweetness, which type of uh, percolation dripper I wanna use, every, each different uh, dripper, whether the, the geometry of the shape of it or the, the material, whether it's made of like a plastic or ceramic or metal, they all impart kind of different flavor characteristics to the coffee that you're making in them so what's the appropriate approach for this because if it's good coffee it's going to taste good no matter what but uh it's like the you know so much of this industry is like trying to find the last 10 percent or whatever like what, what what pushes it from the coffee that's like really really good to like one that you'll remember in your taste buds for the rest of your life kind of you know <laughs> So that, that's all the decisions to try and find out. So I spend a lot of time in the mornings doing that. Mornings are usually pretty quiet, so uh, until like all the hungover people get up and come out for coffee in the morning.
1: So. You didn't have to commute far to the cafe. It takes about 20 seconds by foot, max.
2: The house is known as Thor's Palace. It's been a music venue for many years, so you know, for house shows and a recording studio and, uh, there's been a lot of stuff through there over the years. Yeah. The cast is kind of constantly changing, but I've been lucky to be around for that long.
1: How long have you lived in it?
2: Since 2007, which what? is weird for Vancouver. I mean, most people haven't really. I feel like it's it's hard for people, renters, to hold on to space, you know, for that long. It's
1: also sort of weird, even in Vancouver, to keep a broken-down bus in your own backyard for years. So how does one acquire such a behemoth?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. so my old band, um, that was a group called Spring.
1: Here's a clip of their song, Storyteller.
2: Uh, we were touring quite a lot and uh, I think it was my fault maybe I had the idea of, of getting a bus and then converting it to run running vegetable oil and, and uh, I think we, we were just looking we had a minivan and we were like let's never tour again in a minivan with like four guys and a bunch of gear and like a, bags of groceries and things in there so after doing a few cross Canada tours where, you know, somehow we didn't all kill each other. Um, yeah, I think this thing came up on Craigslist and I think just like, there was like some hippies who had it and they had been driving it around and we bought it from them and, uh, you know, sort of sight unseen, like we went and I, I drove it around the block and, uh, we're like, yep, it goes, let's do it. And, uh, we took it down to on tour down to California. And it just was just breaking down all the time. It's very slow. Uh, None of us really knew how to drive a bus. Uh, (laughs) um, I learned a lot about fixing diesel engines. And um, this is sort of before cell phones were as much of a thing. So like we were like, you know, phoning people who might know and be like, this thing looks like this, and it's not attached to anything. And they're like, oh, find the outlet that looks like that. And (laughs) so a very, very, uh, yeah. Long story short, it makes a better coffee shop than a bus. So
1: does she run anymore?
2: That's a good question. That's like the number one question. And as soon as anybody walks up, they say, does this thing still run? And uh, I don't really know. I kind of got the idea to open a little coffee shop. I think I was on tour in Japan a few years ago and uh just had a few moments of like kind of wandering down a little alley somewhere in in some town and then you know there's a little window and you you kind of look in and there's like a guy making some like delicious pour over coffee or like a a a cocktail or something or or you know selling little rolls of seaweed or something uh it just kind of feels like a, a a little like micro-magical experience of, like, you know, if you didn't know it was there, you you, the only way you could find out is if you stumbled upon it. So that kind of, like, was in the back of my mind. But I've been kind of just, like, nerdily obsessed with coffee for a number of years.
1: Still, Kevin never thought Coffee Bus would stay open for more than one day. He wrote a post about his pop-up on Facebook, expecting a few friends might show up for a socially distanced coffee. But about 50 people showed up on opening day all at once and they waited patiently as kevin used a hand grinder to prepare each order the next day he went out and bought a commercial sized grinder and opened coffee bus for business
2: i just kind of impulsively do things without thinking about them too much generally so i just kind of came up with this idea at one time uh you maybe five months ago or four months ago or something and just put it together uh so i don't know what the future of it is but uh I'm having fun with it. For me, I can't really focus on anything unless I'm like deeply obsessed with it. Uh, so, in order to keep this going, I've become deeply obsessed. Uh, so, as uh, you know, sort of quote unquote normalcy returns and there's music projects happening and stuff, then that will, uh, you know, that will take up more and more time. But I want to find a way of, of continuing to do this project. It's been picked up by the community in a way that feels good I think when I started this people just really wanted something to do coming out of the very rainy season where it's like okay everyone still has to hang out outside but it kind of is like not fun to hang out outside all the time so people were very excited to have an a, you know, excuse to go somewhere and sit uh stand around in an alley and, and drink coffee in a socially distanced way it just reminded me so much of how important it is to like have those experiences of like just you know Having a stop and chat, whether it's with someone you know or someone you don't know, um, you know, with friends who haven't seen each other a while, chatting, and then a lot of a lot of connections from different things, uh, folks from different music scenes coming by and and uh, say, hey, do you do you guys know each other? Like, you, you should talk because you play violin and and I know that you're doing a really cool interesting thing with electronics, and they're like, oh yeah, I've actually been meaning to meet you, and you know, so these kind of uh, things. I think uh, they talk about coffee shops as being a third space.
1: It's a term coined by sociologist Ray Oldenburg and refers to places outside the home and work where people can exchange ideas, build relationships, and just have a good time.
2: It's just about whoever's there. It's about the people. You know, the coffee is is, is great, but it's sort of a catalyst. It's an excuse for people to be out together, you know? Uh, so that that's important. And then I think the other thing that's really been Inspiring to me is uh, this alleyway where you know where I've lived for a long time uh, in this neighborhood. There's a lot of unhoused folks um, who live in the neighborhood. You know, they're they're not transient. They're people that you see every day. Either collecting bottles or just having a hard time, whatever. And, uh, and you know, the stigma against being unhoused or having you know, untreated mental illness, those kind of things. Uh, folks end up in alleyways because they're not welcome on the street. So you see them a lot and there's sort of a, a, there's not a lot of opportunity to interact and like actually have a conversation. So specialty coffee industry being, you know, one that emphasizes quality and attempting to pay fair prices along the supply chain. It's not cheap to get a cup of coffee, right? A lot of people are, used to getting a, you know, a, a Tim Hortons for $1.50 or whatever, getting a really nice natural process Ethiopian coffee that's been, you know, somewhat fairly traded along the way or whatever, it's going to be four or five bucks. That's a lot of money that myself included, I can't afford all the time. But, but I, I don't, like I said, that grounding experience, the comforting experience of, of having a really great coffee, I think is, you know, it's not something that will change injustice on a structural level or change someone's life. But I, at least as a catalyst to have have a you know a conversation and, and you know, learn somebody's name for the first time. And those things I think are are really important. And uh, as soon as you give somebody a bit of agency and say, hey, like yeah, swing by here anytime. Like nice to see you. Whatever. Again, it's not structural change, but I think that for for me it, it feels like an important aspect of of doing anything. And I think like it should be con- sort of central to anybody who's doing anything in Vancouver. So what, what makes a
1: great cup of coffee for
2: you? It should be comforting. I think, I think there's, there's a, a real push towards like coffee. That's uh, very unique, very interesting, um, that you kind of taste it and go like, wow, what is that flavor that's in there? And to me, that's, that's a great experience, but I think primarily a number one, like when you have a cup of coffee, it should like be grounding. Yeah, it, it, you know, the caffeine's going to knock you up a peg, you know, your, your nervous system is going to kind of like bump up, but the overall experience should sort of be like a calming experience or a grounding experience. Um, I mean, that, that's, that can be any, any kind of food experience can be that, right? But uh, for me, the, the, the greatest cups of coffee I've ever had, I can still like, I can still taste them in my memory and like experience like in my body, the, that kind of grounding just like feels like a hug or something, you know. The, just the the way the flavors kind of come over your your palate and, and uh, you know the 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 way that we taste is very interesting. In that when you have a a flavor experience, especially as a child, and taste and smell are so linked. You everyone has kind of a library in their head of all the flavor experiences that they've had. So it's nice to just kind of be able to explore that. The the kind of the 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 scientific approach behind it um versus just like having a nice cup in the morning you know so i don't remember the first place i walked into where they were like measuring with a scale the w- amount of water that they were pouring over the coffee and me and a friend uh, we jokingly called it science coffee because there's like beakers and stuff and i was like wow science coffee this is I don't know if I liked it at the time, even because it was it wasn't it wasn't as as darkly roasted as I thought uh, that coffee should be. And it's such a black hole as as soon as as soon as you get into it, then it just rolls and rolls, and you know, now I'm roasting coffee and having you know precision scientific devices that measure the refraction of light through a, a liquid medium to figure out exactly what your extraction level was and all you know all these it's it's quite a it's quite a it's the ultimate nerd hobby
1: kevin has what i'd call an encyclopedic level of knowledge about coffee and that includes the politics of the industry
2: you know coffee is political because it's it, it deals with the, the supply chain of coffee is, is still so based in colonialism right it, it's a the fact that we can only get green coffee from places in the world that have been colonized heavily throughout history by the West and that we still have governments interfering in the politics of those places to keep them poor, uh, those, are, you know, those are big questions and it, it, you know, there's a lot of blood on the hands of this industry, especially coffee industry, I think is, is fairly um, uncritical uh, on the structural level so there's a lot of talk about sustainability and ethical trade, fair trade, a lot of it's sort of lip service. So for me, like, if I want to support a roaster and bring in their, you know, bringing in our coffee to serve, uh, the folks who have really good politics surrounding that, who at least talk about those issues, not just saying like, Oh, sustainability and paying fair prices, but also talk about where, what, how is our business, part of a global colonial structure you know how can we actually begin as an industry to move away from like an extractive model to something more collaborative and in what ways are we maybe powerless to to you know to influence that but at least having those conversations are are uncomfortable and they're not great marketing uh (laughs) but so the people who are having those conversations either through social media or you know uh in their in their packaging or whatever that uh, i like to support them so
1: special shout outs to bows and arrows coffee in victoria rabbit roasters in montreal and nemesis in vancouver but the micro roastery business is far from lucrative
2: pro tip if you want to make money don't go into coffee <laughs>
1: um,
2: you know don't open a restaurant you know the, these are the, these things there's no money in it right unless you're unless you have like a ton of investment capital to start it up so uh, this has never been a money-making thing, you know, it's just a, it's just a project that, that was a whim. I was going to do it for one day and then, and then it sort of, be, people wanted it to keep happening, so. And I think we need a, a push away from things being run in a traditional business model because a lot of people have a lot of good ideas and if we just do them together as a, as a project, then cool things happen.
1: Sure enough, in the summer of 2021, something really cool happened in Gibson's at an ambient music festival.
2: It was called something. I can't remember now, I'm just blanking, but uh, a very really beautiful outdoor ambient music festival with different artists creating, sort of creating sonic landscapes more than like playing songs.
1: It's where Kevin had a conversation with the director of Redgate Art Society, Jim Carico. And that led to General Strike Coffee Workshop, his latest caffeine-fueled endeavor. And we were just chatting about,
2: you know, how he'd wanted to kind of turn this space into, that where we're in right now, uh, into kind of a, somewhere somewhere that the community could gather or or that people could hang during the day. And uh, I was like, oh, well, I have a, I think he had mentioned that he wanted to do coffee, but he didn't want to do it. He's like, I don't want to do it myself. Or but he's like, well, I'm already doing that.
1: As we speak, I'm sitting in the gallery at Redgate Studios. The space has super high ceilings with tall canvases leaning against the wall. There are a few mismatched tables and chairs, like a bonafide cafe. In the corner, there's a little wooden room where Kevin makes coffees, plus espresso drinks with his new high-tech machine from Hong Kong.
2: High-technology uh, machine, it's all controlled by software. So it allows you to, to have like a lot of detailed control over what is happening and so you can pull a lot of different kinds of shots um, different kinds of drinks with it and get very detailed feedback in the form of like uh graphs about what happens during the shot and then how to how you can use that information to improve it uh yeah it's a very nerdy kind of uh state of the art uh, machine that, that is has kind of gained a following amongst like very uh, analytical coffee nerds around the world,
1: so are you taking out loans or like how how is this working on a like financial
2: basis for you? Uh, let's just say, uh, I went to the bank of Serb throughout the pandemic. I wasn't really working a lot, so uh, but also not doing anything, so I was able to save up a fair amount of the the served money that was coming in as a result of having my career kind of uh demolished by covid so managed to get a bit of bread from that and then uh yeah and i'm just like very much in debt now (laughs) Uh, which i wasn't before to me it it needs to be by donation because coffee has sort of been at the forefront of it's like the first thing to happen in a neighborhood when the gentrification is happening right it's like the hip coffee shop where you go and get a six dollar Fucking pour over, or whatever, and then it, and you know, and then the next thing is, is so the tech company moves in or right? whatever. So I don't want, uh, you know, I I think it's important if you're going to be doing anything anywhere that the people who happen to be there are able to, you know, to enjoy it. So without it being like this exclusive thing, you know, this neighborhood we're at, at Third and Main here, uh, and it's a very rapidly changing neighborhood and this used to be kind of like an industrial area um, my my music studio is right around the corner from here on the same block and uh you know it's been like an affordable place for people to create for a long time and uh now it's you know co-working spaces and tech offices and and luxury condos so you know in a way i'm hoping that like what we're doing here is is almost like a slightly grungy enough and principled enough to be, like, the anti-gentrification holdout of, uh, you know, which is ironic doing, like, you know, single-origin espresso being, like, you know, being part of an idea of, of like, anti-gentrification, but I'm hoping that that can that can carry through in some way. In
1: the book Envisioning Real Utopias, late sociologist Eric Olin Wright outlines how society can transcend capitalism by creating small-scale alternatives within the economic ecosystem. It's sort of like an inside job, attacking the capitalistic and status components. Coffee can't
2: necessarily change the world, but at least, you know, we cannot 100% buy into like the the capitalist myth <laughs> hopefully <laughs> I think it's it's easy to come to these conclusions if you pay attention at all like you can you, you, you can't throw a stone without hitting some kind of injustice these days whether on a, on a very local scale or or a, you know, obviously global scale realizing that some form of socialism made a lot of sense to me is it, it came very early on and it I haven't seen uh, evidence that it's still not a good idea. <laughs> and so a general strike is when an entire population workforce would stop showing up to work in order to gain wider, uh, to, to have leverage uh, on a government, for example, right? I think it, it's just sort of a, a tip of the hat to, to like worker power. But it, I, you know, I don't want it to grow beyond uh, beyond what I can do myself, because I don't want to be a boss to anyone. <laughs> I don't want to take anybody's labor and profit off of it in a way that, um, you know, the, the way that model sort of generally works. Yeah, I mean, if it were to grow beyond what I could do myself, I would want to create like a worker co-op or something where everyone wasn't equally, equally uh, in ownership of of whatever comes in but right now there's very little money anyway so it's it's kind of a weird time right now everything doesn't nothing really feels real in the world right now so it's sort of it's sort of like a limbo phase where we're just going to see what happens
1: you can experience general strike coffee from wednesday to sunday 10 a.m to 3 p.m kevin posts updates on instagram and facebook and for now the coffee bus is back to being a regular bus
2: yeah once in a while people will come through here and be like oh i tried i've been trying to go to your 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 the coffee bus people told me about it but I, it, it's just a bus so um when you said that there was going to be the article uh in the magazine i uh, i just recently went and i put a sign in the window of the bus being like it's not here anymore but you know it's not uh it's not going anywhere so <laughs> if anybody needs a bus call me <laughs>
0: enjoyed becca's interview and you might have been curious to hear the music of kevin romaine and what do you know i have a track right here from his jazz trio it's a cover of west coast blues by Wes montgomery um i'm actually a jazz fan myself so this is right up my alley jazz like this always reminds me of driving at night and maybe it's because cbc would always play jazz at night i don't know Anyway, I hope you vibe with it. Here's West Coast Blues by Kevin Romain's Acoustic Trio.
3: Bye. Mm-hmm. we
0: The SADcast is brought to you by SAD Magazine, featuring stories, art, and design by local emerging artists and writers. Our intro and interstitial music is by Shamir.